Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. All right, so this is going to be interesting walking back and forth with the clicker. I apologize about that. But what I will say is I was with my dad in the car in Salinas Valley, California. And my dad said, why are the hills on the west side greener than the hills on the east side? And again, this is California. The ocean's on the west side. I was like, Dad, this is easy. It's because of the rain shadow effect. You know, the water evaporates from the ocean and it rains on these hills. But on the east side, there's not enough rain. By the time it gets there, it's all nice and dry. And so from a very young age, it was all about science. It was all about the fact that action, reaction. If I do something, I will be able to get something. And that's really how my whole life started, was very much based on science. And I grew up with the mentality of, I don't really need anything because I have already got everything. And if you see there, that's uh, it's my dad, the big guy, my mom, my sister, and myself in the middle. And I never thought I needed God because I already had so much love in my life. Uh, my dad was excited to have me as a little son. I took his name, Edward Kevill Stark Jr. He was my dad. Uh, my sister in elementary school, she'd run up to me three years apart and she'd give me a huge hug and she'd say, I love my little brother in front of all of her friends. Totally knew I was loved. Same thing in high school too. So I always knew I was loved. Uh, my mom at every, sec- every second would always tell me I was going to be able to do great things in life. My dad was my champion as well. So in a sense, it was like you all might feel right now. Who wants to eat more? Well, you're full. You don't really have a hunger for something. I didn't have a hunger because of the familial love, the storge love that God put into my life, which is familial love. I had never known agape love. I didn't want agape love. I didn't want to love anybody else. I had no capacity for more love. All right, so then uh, this was my, uh, my, my friend when I was a little kid, also my dad. And I always wanted to be big like my dad. Uh, you see him there at 26 with a, a big lingcod in California. Uh, you see him over here. He was down there in Fiji. They were actually doing a count of the lobster that were in Fiji to see if there were enough lobster to have a lobster fishery. The funny thing was they'd take the lobster, put it in a bag, and they'd count it, and then they'd eat it. So whatever they were counting <laughs> to see if there's a fishery they were eating. Uh, it turns out there was no lobster industry in Fiji, which is kind of funny. <laughs> but again, you can see the love that I had in my life with my dad. You see that picture on his face. When I was born, he walked into uh, the room, and my mom was holding me, and he was just physically excited. He brought a box of champagne. He was opening champagne. He was like a Labrador wagging its tail in a china shop, just busting things down. And the nurse is like, Ed, you need to calm down. And he was just excited. And that's how I grew up. I grew up in a place where I was just, I was definitely loved. Others showed me so much love that I didn't think I needed any more love. And I was very much in the sense of what I need, I can accomplish myself. 
Uh, one of the stories that's interesting too is as a little kid, uh, my dad and I were going to an outrigger competition in the morning. And he, he always did outrigger canoeing and stuff like that. We stopped at the Jack in the Box getting something to eat. It was very dark. It was cold for California in Central California, which is not that cold compared to here. My dad hands a gentleman begging outside the Jack in the Box $5. And this is probably in 1989. And I... A uh, young man at that point, a little tiny, actually young boy, I should say, growing up in Pebble Beach to a family that never had any need for anything. Uh, I yelled at the guy, hey, don't go spending all that money on alcohol. <laughs> at about nine years, like at a very young age. So who am I to say what somebody should or shouldn't do with money? That was one of the times where I can remember my dad being very disappointed with me. And you could also say angry, except for the fact that he never got angry in that sense, but he definitely asked me questions. He said, do you know where that person grew up? Uh, do you know what that person's been through in life? How do you know anything that got them to the point of which they're living on the streets? I'm like, you know what? I don't. And at that point, it started to make me think about, too, that even though I have things, I don't deserve the things that I have. The fact that I get to have a dad, I am never hungry and stuff like that. Those are just amazing things. Now, we think about our eternal father. Uh, I had a good earthly father and a good big friend who was just like this big guy. They felt like they were the same age, but he was just a lot bigger. I, d I have a very good thought of an earthly father, but I never had a need for an eternal father because I felt like, again, I was, I was full. I had what I needed. I didn't need any more. Anything that I did need, I could create on my own through hard work. And uh, part of that was as a young kid, I grew up in Pebble Beach, California. Mm -hmm. So Pebble Beach is known for golf and all sorts of other things that are beautiful. And the reason we lived there was because, number one, my dad wanted to be done with work at 3 p.m. at the end of the day. The one reason why he wanted to be done at 3 p.m., and he became a stockbroker so he could be done at 3 p.m. in California. Uh, he wanted to be done at 3 p.m. so that after that, he could go in the ocean and go spearfishing. And spearfishing is basically like you're diving into the water and you've got a spear gun in your hand and you're swimming after the fish and you get them. Uh, and so the reason we wanted to live in Pebble Beach was because the coast was basically off access to everybody. And so it was the best fishing possible. My dad became a stockbroker because he could get off work at the end of the day uh, with there still being sunlight and go out in the ocean. And that all kind of shows in terms of like who my dad was in a sense. Like he was not the typical stockbroker. Uh, he was not the, the dad that would provide a lot of rules and stuff like that, but there was always a lot of love. But then fast forward to middle school and uh, somebody I knew, Corey Wood in sixth grade, he asked me, do you believe the story of Adam and Eve is true? And I couldn't believe that was actually a question because in my mind, there's absolutely no way the story of Adam and Eve is true. It was inconceivable that anybody could believe that. Now in that, at that grade, I was still very much about science and things of that nature. But it lasted with me for so long thinking that somebody actually thought the story of Adam, Adam and Eve could be true. And the reason I'm showing this beach is because that's Pebble Beach. Whenever you speak to something about Christ to an unbeliever and you show your belief and your faith in that truth, you're putting a stone in their shoe. And that stone in my shoe lasted for a very long time. So what Corey did by just asking that question started my brain thinking that maybe there's actually something to this Christ that people talk about. 
At that age, I didn't believe that there was, but I thought maybe there could be. If somebody like Corey thought there could be, maybe there's a possibility. Another story in my life that's kind of an interesting one is uh, my mom's dad. This is Denny Randall. And he was very successful in Central California as a stockbroker. He was the lead for the Central California region. And the Manhattan office called him and they said, Denny, we'd like you to come here and we'd like you to run the office. So I don't know all the particulars about the position, but I do know it was a huge uh, promotion. So my grandmother right there, he goes home and he tells her, he's like, Carolyn, uh, they want me to work in Manhattan. And she said, great, we'll see you on the weekends. <laughs> so what she was saying is, we're not moving. It's about family. Now, what I was supposed to take away from the moral of that story is that Denny was a loving, amazing family man. Love the people who love you by loving them. And he didn't move. What I took away at that age was don't be connected to people that will hold you back. And always be ready, no matter how independent you have to be, to make the move when the move gives you the opportunity to do so and when the opportunity shows itself. So even though uh, I was supposed to see or find the, the moral of the story being the fact that he was a great family man, for me, what I thought about is how am I going to be able to work harder, to win faster, and to take whatever opportunity comes my way to, um, to achieve. It is really about achievement. So even though I was an unbeliever, there were things that God put in my life that were blessings that I could have never asked for, that I didn't want, but were still part of who I was. And one of them was just to honor my father and my mother. Uh, from a, as a little kid, basically, if they had something that I was supposed to do, I was definitely somebody that would do it. I just found joy in that level of achievement. Uh, at one point, I got in trouble for saying, when I'm good, I get the things I want, which sounds like a pretty... Bad thing to say if you're a believer in Christ, but if you're an unbeliever, then hey, why wouldn't you think that? It's basically do good, you get what you want. Uh, and you can see right there that there was not the reason, the reason for me to do good was not the reason of which I should be doing good. So for instance, now if we're all in Christ, the reason we do good things is not because we think good things have a reaction that's going to cause you know, a benefit to us. We do it because we love Christ. And that's something I learned along the way is that I no longer do things because I think I will get a benefit first and foremost. I do things out of my love for Christ, and in turn, there is benefit. But I understand my works don't establish that benefit. It's my love for Christ that does that to begin with. So uh, 1998, my mom invites me to go to church. And this is a church in Pacific Grove, California. It was in a uh, high school auditorium. They were just getting started. Now, I didn't want to go to church because I didn't believe in God. I sure didn't believe in the worship music. Uh, but the only inkling I had that might be a good thing was to be the son my mom wanted me to be and to do what she wants me to do. So I was happy to do that. Again, that's a blessing from God, the fact that I listened to my parents. I honored them. So I'm in church, and they're singing their songs, and the whole time I'm thinking, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, trying to block out any kind of worship that would come along with the music. Uh, and at the time, the music was just very much music. It was not worship for me. 
I don't know why I was thinking, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, I don't believe this. For some reason, I knew, my, my psyche knew there was power in what was being said, even though I didn't want to believe it. Now, when it got to the message, I'm like, oh, I like this message. I think I could be successful if I do these things. I think that these rules, these proverbs and all these other things uh, will give me a leg up in life. And so I definitely enjoyed listening to the message. And I think God worked through me in that way, too, to want to understand, to learn more about his rules in a way where I thought if I follow the rules, I could be successful. But as I'll show you later, as time goes on, my perspective of looking at God in those ways changed greatly. Uh, in the end, we're all given blessings by God, whether you start in, the light, in life like I did or not. But it's, uh, it's always amazing to follow those gifts that God's given you, whether it's to be an obedient son or something else. And so this really is the basis for who I was as a little kid, a young man, somebody who started working for Johnson Johnson in 2006, was basically... I'll just work hard. I, can, I mean, it might not be the smartest guy, but I can probably work harder than the smartest guy. Uh, you know, I think I can achieve perfection if I just work hard enough. And I actually thought I could achieve perfection, achieve performance, perfection. Uh, and then I was like, well, okay, if I can't achieve perfection, at least I can be better than 99% of the people in terms of how I'd reason that with myself. Now, what I found was the harder I tried, the more I understood I can never achieve perfection. Not to, not to mention the fact that when I try really hard to do something, all of a sudden I find I'm doing the exact thing I don't want to do. And I don't remember when I first heard this, uh, Romans 7.15, but for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And that had a huge impact on my life because as a little kid at about 10 years old, I got very strict with the food I ate. And I said, I'm not eating any more candy. I'm not eating any more than 20 grams of fat a day. And I'm going to get trim. I'm going to be big like my dad. I'm going to do these actions and I'm going to get the results that I want. But I found I couldn't be perfect in that way. And it was very difficult for me to understand why can't I do that? When I heard this quote, I'm like, you know, or this verse, I should say, I was like, you know, it makes sense. I am a sinner. Adam and Eve is real. Like, they did sin. I am born with that sin in me. As much as I didn't want to believe it, it started to become real. And then one of the funny things that my sister uh, would say, and we always had a loving relationship. She never said a bad thing to me, but I had a heart of stone. There was no doubt about it. And uh, God changed my heart, and he turned that heart of stone into flesh. And so it's always been a part of me where I never wanted more love in my life because it was a greater responsibility. If I love somebody, all of a sudden I'm responsible for their well-being. And it would be difficult for me to have to achieve more things in that relationship based on having to love somebody else and all the responsibility that comes with that. God changed my heart of stone into heart of flesh, and he did that through... a time period in my life when my nieces and my nephews were born. It wasn't until then that I truly started to understand agape love. And the difference was I no longer did things because I thought it would allow me to achieve a result. 
but I love them because I just love them and I wanted the best for them. So I did it out of my love for them. Uh, what opened my eyes that God worked through them was they love me so much. I did not earn that love from them. For whatever reason, they have this love for me that I can't understand because I didn't really do much as an uncle besides just hang out with them. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't a jerk so much most of the time. Uh, but for whatever reason, they loved me and they looked up to me. So it's, you see Matthew, uh, the older boy, Harrison, the self-proclaimed orange head. <laughs> he said his hair's not red. Look at it, it's orange. Annabella, and then Colette looking off to the side, always understanding things that are going on. So God works in us in ways that we would never probably ask for. I never wanted to have the love for them that I have right now. If you said, would you like this love? And here's what it looks like. Read this page and understand and learn what this love would feel like. I'd say, I don't want it. But now that God's given it to me, I would never want to let go of it. Because now that heart of flesh cannot be turned back into a heart of stone because God has captured me. Uh, and definitely through them and their love for me. And then I'd also say, while I've had an amazing life, there's no doubt I've always been loved. There's, there's been hardship. Uh, a lot of things that you guys have been through as well. And I think that this picture is just a little bit of evidence in terms of how God does work all things out for the good of those who love him. Uh, if you see all these people up there, the, the two gentlemen off to uh, your right, the one at the very end is Jason Two, Jason Jr., He's my sister's stepson. Next to him is his dad, Jason. His dad, Jason, was my high school wrestling captain. When I was a freshman, he was a senior. He was good friends with my sister. Uh, they had never been in a relationship besides just being friends. Life goes on. A lot of things happen in my sister's life. She ends up getting divorced to her husband of her four children. It gets to the point where she meets Jason again, and they are now married. They got married June 17th of this year. I don't want to talk about all the hardship that they went through, but there were definitely times where it was uh, very possibly dangerous situations and things like that for my sister and her ex-husband and her kids. Uh, but now God has worked something out that's just truly beautiful. And it's something to, to show that, you know, God does amazing things for us here on this earth. It's such a broken place. But in the midst of that, because of his mercy, he provides us grace. And with that grace, we can have so much love in our life and celebrate days like this that are just a true blessing. So even in the darkest days when we felt like we would give up hope, we never did. And God, he pulled through in ways that we would never expect to. We can't deserve. And it's only by his grace and mercy. What's interesting to think about is that from that first day in church when I was thinking, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, fast forward to COVID 2020, my niece Annabella wanted to get baptized. Now, there's no baptisms happening at church. My church in Los Angeles was uh, still virtual at that point. So I talked to my pastor. I'm like, I want to make sure that she understands what this really means so that she doesn't think it's an action that's going to have a reaction, but it's a heart that shows that she loves Christ. And so they had some virtual conversations over Zoom and uh, he actually allowed me to say, yeah, it's okay if I could baptize her. So I got to 
uh, baptized my niece Annabella over there in Santa Cruz. And then come a year later, my niece Colette uh, was baptized at that same beach in Pebble Beach. And I was the one that baptized them, which is truly a heart of flesh. That is unbelievable that something like that could happen to a kid that was very much action, reaction, performance, achievement, all of a sudden turns into just that love where I just loved them so much I'd, I'd spin the world in the other direction for them. Uh, one of the funny things is if you look at this picture right here of Colette. So in Central California, that water's probably, it ranges from like 52 to 58 degrees in the course of a year. Very cold. She is a tiny little thing. We call her cocoa bean sometimes. Uh, her name's Colette. And she went under the water and she came up as if she had breathed for her very first time because that water was so cold. And she didn't know what to do, but she had just, I put my hand in there, she put her hand in the air, and it looked like she had, again, breathed for the very first time as if she had just been born, which is kind of fun to think about that too. You know, dead to sin and alive in Christ. It's just beautiful how God can work in our lives in so many different ways. And then as I mentioned before, uh, it's a love that I would never want to give up now that I've already gotten it from God. Uh, but beforehand, I would have never have wanted. Uh, my nephew, Matthew, it's the only picture I could find where he doesn't look a full 12 inches taller than me. Uh, but now he's, he's living with my mom and he's going to college and stuff like that, which is amazing. And uh, you can just see like great times with my nieces and my, uh, my nephew over there in Santa Cruz. And there's so many people you're probably going to talk to in the course of your day who don't understand what loving God can be in that relationship with God. And they think it's all about rules. I'd say if you could do anything, just tell them about the fact that the rules come after the love and the love comes first. And that the difference is the relationship and not the laws of what we obey, so to speak. Uh, and it's just amazing to, to think about how God can change us in so many different ways because of the love he has for us first. And out of that, by loving him, we actually will be doing good things, uh, but only because we love him first. And that kind of brings me to where I am today to a certain extent in terms of I still enjoy science very much. Science is great. I work for Johnson Johnson of Pharmaceuticals. The reason I got into it is because I loved all the clinical studies. Uh, I did natural bodybuilding in college, and I loved all the aspects of like what the human body, how it works and stuff like that, and how you can fix disease based on science. Um, and I, I still awe. I have great awe for what God's created. And what I understand is that science doesn't tell us the why. It just kind of shows us the what. It's observational. You know, it can tell us what degree water boils, 212 degrees, but it can't tell us why it does. And so I love understanding the what, but I know that God only provides the why. And that why is what really brings me back to being here in fellowship with you all. Probably the most important part about being in relationship with Christ is being in relationship with his people. Also learning about him and his, uh, from the Bible and things of that nature and how those Bible verses stay with me all the time. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Saw a shooting star the other day. You know, science can explain that shooting star, but it can't explain why it all started to begin with. And so all those things come together and it makes me uh, in more awe of God than I have ever been before. 
So working for Johnson & Johnson, I started in 2006 as a sales representative in California. From 2011 to 2012, I lived in New Jersey. And then I started as a marketer last year. And I work for the neuroscience division of Johnson & Johnson. We've got three products for schizophrenia. It's a one, a three, and a six-month injection for people who live with schizophrenia. Now, as sure as you all see this table empty, somebody who lives with schizophrenia might, be, might think and see three people there. And it would be no different in terms of the reality that you know that nobody's there and their reality that they think that somebody is there. It's hard to fathom that something like that could be possible, but that's what these people live with every single day. You think about somebody who has cancer. You want to go and help that somebody with cancer. Uh, you want to bring them food or something like that. You want to help them any way you possibly can. You think about somebody who lives with schizophrenia. If you saw them walking down the street towards you, you'd probably turn to the other side, afraid of what they might do to you. What I'd say is that just like many of the people that Jesus helped in the Bible, they're just trying their best in a world that's so much more confusing than what we go through. And their symptoms many times are symptoms that make them think the world's in the, going a different direction than you and I would all think logically. But this does show how I'm able to use my view of science and my love of Christ to help people who can't help themselves. Because many times the voices that they're hearing in their heads are voices that are telling them to do things that are definitely detrimental to what they should be doing. Uh, so it's truly an honor to work at Johnson Johnson. And just in this past about six months, I've got uh, two men who are believers in Christ. We all get there early and we go and we sit in a room. We talk about our love of Christ, read a Bible verse, and we pray together. It's not very structured, but it's truly beautiful. And it shows that even in corporate America, you know, we can have those conversations. And there's so many people along the way that... I get to talk to about my love of Christ by just saying, like, hey, when, what'd you do on the weekend? Oh, it was the man's breakfast kind of thing. Gave him my testimony. Let me tell you about something. So there's always that option to bring up what you do to other people who are unbelievers and bring them to a different level of understanding or a relationship with Christ, putting a stone in their shoe. And I'll end with this. Uh, the old is gone, the new has arrived, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When I think about when I started my, I'd say, when I started to understand religion, God, and then Jesus, it was very much, God wants you to do this, I will check that box, and I will check that box better than somebody else could probably do it. Not that that's true reality, but that's what I was thinking. And so if you see, works. I started with works. My mom told me about a guy who uh, was very successful. He was our neighbor, and he went to church. And she's like, yeah, he goes to church. I'm like, well, if he goes to church and he's successful, if I go to church, maybe I'll be successful. If I give that, that tithe, that percentage, uh, maybe God will reward me with this. And so I did start in that way. And I remember one of my colleagues in Bakersfield, California, her name was Taryn O'Toole. She's the one that first told me. She's like, yeah, I tithe. I'm like, you actually tithe? Like, people do this? Like, aren't you afraid that church is going to take your money and run with it? You know, and, uh, and it's going to go to a bad cause. But my beginning as a Christian in religion was very much about the works I would do. Now, I wouldn't say that there was a point of which all of a sudden the work stopped and the grace started. But what I would say is that one start, started to meet, like meld into the other one. <clears throat> 
And grace started to pull at me and take up hold. So now when I went to church, I didn't sing the music at church. I went to church and I worshiped through the music. Because I'm not a big music guy. I like spoken word. I like to learn. But now when I go to church, it's not music, it's worship. Uh, Now when I do give, it's because I want other people to experience agape love. The love I never wanted that now I never want to get rid of. And they can only do that by truly understanding who Christ is. And the best way to do that is through us and through the church. And then also in terms of my life now with grace, I wouldn't say I'm the, that I go out and talk to everybody about Christ, but I'm much more able to talk about uh, God's love for me in terms of how it's changed my life because grace has a hold on me. It's something that even though I'm a sinner and I can't earn any level of sanctification, it's by the grace of God that I've got faith that I believe that he has done what needs to be done. The only work that can be done to fix what I have is such a broken heart. And, uh, and because of that, I, I now live in that grace. And I'd say I am now definitely in Christ, even though I wouldn't know there's not a specific date where I say all of a sudden I became a follower of Christ. So that's it.